Listening to the flip side with Noah Filipiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grit of life. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Noah Filipiak or at noahfilipiak.com slash give. What is up, Flip Aponami? Welcome to episode 46 of the Flip Side Podcast. Spring is in the air in Michigan. The sun is shining. We haven't seen the sun in five months here. One of the cloudiest places in the United States, Michigan. We love it. Spring is here. It's it's only here to, to, to juke us out, to fake us out, to get our hopes up, to think, to think that the long winter is over. But seasoned Michiganders know that... Early and mid-March, spring, only only uh, get your hopes up. The big storm is still coming. We'll, we'll get plenty of snow still at the end of March and into April. Always good time. So, but I do hope I do hope that spring year this spring you're feeling you're feeling hope. I mean, honestly, you're I I, I hope I hope you're with COVID, uh, you know, and all that stuff from from the the shutdown and the pandemic and the. The vaccine getting out there more and more. Do get your vaccine if you can get it. If you're on the list and qualify and you get the call, sign up for it and get it. It is certainly helping open things up. It is certainly helping life get back to normal uh, safely. And man, it's it's for me. It, it it yeah. It feels like it feels like wow. There's there's an end to the tunnel. There's light at the end of the tunnel. This. This thing isn't going to just go on forever. So I hope you're feeling some of that as well. Well, this is episode 46 of The Flip Side, and it's it's crazy. We're, we're getting close to episode 50. That feels like a big deal. We've been flip-siding for a little while now. And I just want to say another big thank you to, to hanging out, for being a listener. If you're a longtime listener, thank you. Thank you for, for listening and, and going on this journey together. Uh, with me, and if you're a new listener, welcome. Uh, the last episode of The Flip Side, I interviewed Nate Larkin. He's the director of the Samson Society, and we talked about Nate's story, recovering from a life of sexual addiction, and just really an exceptional story, an elaborate story uh, of, of lots of sexual addiction and finding lots of freedom from it, and now uh, helping men find that same path of vulnerability and grace. So I encourage you to check that out. Episode before that, episode 44, I just was sharing vulnerably about my own journey, my journey as an author and as a human being, the insecurities that I feel and the some of the anxiety that I feel and uh, the identity stuff that I have to wrestle with with this book coming out in July. And so I hope I hope that that episode is helpful for you in your walk and in your journey with your insecurities and your identity stuff. And I just think it's really important that we name that stuff and talk about it. Uh, today, I'm going to be interviewing Todd Wilson on his book, The Enneagram Goes to Church. And if you're not an Enneagram person, you've never heard of it before, or maybe you have heard of it and you think it's dumb, <laughs> that's okay. I'd encourage you to still hang on 
uh, in Todd's book, he, he talks a lot about leadership in the church, and I want to talk to him about that, about some of the stuff I mentioned in episode 44. He, he talks a lot about, I'm going to talk to him about uh, some of the personality-driven leadership in the church. And, and I, man, I'm, I'm one of these leaders, right? I, I've, I'm, I've been in that, in that seat of, of the head leader, senior pastor of a church plant, and, and just what, what, what the church environment can be like when people are heaping praise on you all the time. And often in the church environment, uh, people are afraid to speak truth to you. And we've just uh, about, you know, your shortcomings and they bottle those things up and it, it comes out sideways and and you just see a lot of unhealth in church staffs. You see a lot of unhealth in church leadership teams. And so we're going to get in to some of that. And I think some of that puts us, you know, all in the same boat. Whether you're you're just a you, whether you're in church leadership or you attend church, we all contribute to that culture. And there is something sick about that culture. Sick, as in there's something ill. There's something not quite right. Because you see, uh, um, well-known ministry leaders sort of falling from their positions, and and I and and I don't even mean the sexual ones, which have gotten lots of headlines recently. And and certainly that does play a role when there's not. A, 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 and Nate and I talked about that last episode. There's not an atmosphere of vulnerability. There's not an atmosphere where you can, uh, you, you have to, you have to act like you have it all together. And that, and that plays in here too. Uh, but, but, but well known ministry leaders getting fired and, and for arrogance and ego. And, and I'm telling you, you get into the author world and it just magnifies that. It magnifies that you're, you're, you know, you, you see a poster, or maybe not a poster, but a magazine ad or an online ad for, or it might be a poster up in your church, right? It's, it's advertising an upcoming conference, and it has some some bio uh, photos of some of your favorite authors, and you want to go to that conference because you want to see that favorite author of yours as if they're some kind of celebrity, and the whole idea of celebrityism in general, what a weird, messed up dumb concept <laughs> and it's super unhealthy and what it what it does to your ego and uh, we do that in the church and man I we don't need that we don't need to do that and in, in a lot of ways uh, that's the world we're in that's that's the Christian subculture we're in so so Todd and I are going to talk about that today as well as we unpack his book uh, the Enneagram goes to church so uh, hang in there. We're going to do a, a Noah's Rant at the end of today. I hope you've been enjoying Noah's Rant. Noah's Rant is brought to you by Angry Brew. Angry Brew has about twice the caffeine of regular coffee. I'm drinking my Angry Brew right now. It is delicious. I like dark roast coffee. It's my favorite. And this is a really good dark roast. You can get 10% off at fivelakes.com or angrybrew.com using the promo code FLIP. Get it, FLIP? Like the flip side? Did you know that's actually a tagline joke sort of thing? Because my last name is Philippiac. <laughs> oh, boom. I know, crazy. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Todd, and then we will welcome him into the podcast. Todd Wilson, PhD, University of Cambridge, is the president and co-founder of the Center for Pastor Theologians and the former senior pastor 
of Calvary Memorial Church in Oak Park, Illinois. He is the author of Mere Sexuality, Rediscovering the Christian Vision of Sexuality, Real Christian, Bearing the Marks of Authentic Faith and Galatians, Gospel-Rooted Living, as well as co-author of The Pastor Theologian and co-editor of Becoming a Pastor Theologian and Beauty, Order, and Mystery. Dude has written a whole bunch of books, and he has written the brand new The Enneagram Goes to Church, which releases on March 16th, 2021. So get it fresh off the shelves. And oh yeah, Todd also, I don't know why he didn't include this in his professional bio, has been a guest on The Flip Side before. Episode 34, I interviewed Todd about biblical theology for sex, marriage, we talked about LGBTQ+, uh, and surrounding his book, Mere Sexuality, that I mentioned, which we did as a flip side book club. So with that, let's welcome Todd back in for round two on the flip side. Well, Todd, welcome back to the flip side. Yes. Round two, man. Thanks for being yes. here. Yes. Thank you for having me. I feel like I'm a repeat offender, brother. Hey, man. Enneagram eights are always welcome here. This is the, okay. this is the this Enneagram is eight place. support group. Uh, you can be honest here. You can, you know, I am Noah Filipiak and I am an Enneagram eight. You know, that's kind of how we do. start these, these meetings. We need safe so, spaces. We're, we we're, we're, ten, we're, you know, we're tender souls. We're vulnerable <laughs> souls. We, we, we need are. safe spaces. We do. We we need safe spaces, yeah, so that we don't hurt a bunch of other people with our eightness. So that's, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. So we'll get. We will get into all the numbers of of the enneagram. Uh, and and what I what I wanted to start out with, you know, the first time I ever heard about uh, the enneagram, I was uh, doing a retreat cohort. It was a fantastic experience, and I'd never heard of the enneagram. Uh, my background. Yeah. Uh, I think similar to yours, or at least at least similar to kind of uh, what you're up to nowadays. You know, my background, I grew up in uh, mostly Baptist, non-denom sort of churches. Yeah. Uh, went to uh, Cornerstone University undergrad, you know, back in yeah. the early 2000s. So, you know, Enneagram stuff was, wasn't really on anybody's radar back right, then. Right, right, right. But, but just in general, my, my background, my denominational uh, upbringing, we didn't do a lot of contemplative stuff. No. We uh, didn't read a lot outside of our own, um, you know, tradition, I guess you'd call it. And and yeah. certainly there was, I would say looking, I mean, not even looking back. I mean, now that I've, uh, I, I, I've been in sort of this path for a while, I did a, a, a two-year retreat cohort that really exposed me to a lot of, um, you know, a lot of spiritual practices that have been wonderful in my life. Yes. Um, there is some fear, though. There's some fear around some of yeah. these things, some fear around the Enneagram. So we're going to get to that. But my point to all this is I'm on this cohort, never heard of the Enneagram. I'm like, Ennea, what? what you, you people are weird because everybody on this cohort, many of them were, were – this was just a few years ago, 2015, 2016 – they they were uh, you know they were in denominations and 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 sort of streams that were doing enneagram stuff and everyone's I'm a three I'm an eight I'm a nine and I'm like you're all idiots because I don't know totally. what these numbers mean and I'm I'm oh, an totally. eight and you know an eight's like well that's dumb so I'm not oh, doing totally. it totally <laughs> instinctive reaction you're like right. let me break something I gotta that's crush right. something this is making me crazy you're all wrong and I'm right and you're and so I uh, ended up loving the enneagram and it's been a huge yeah. tool in my own personal discipleship but I'm wondering. 
uh, for people uh, like me in 2015 who've never heard of it and might even be a little annoyed uh, by some of the chatter around it, can you just give a brief overview of of what the Enneagram is? And if I can kind of clump two questions into one or we can get there later, uh, maybe why there's some fear in, in the yeah. uh, maybe more evangelical world um, around around the Enneagram. Yeah, sure. I'll take those in, in two parts. One, what is the Enneagram? Uh, the Enneagram is a personality typing system, right? So it's a personality typology, to use a fancy phrase. It is a way of describing the pattern of human personality. Um, and I, I think we can all start, and all your listeners, um, I think, can start with this. Even if you've never heard of the Enneagram or you have and you think it's dopey or ridiculous, whatever, um, I think all of us can agree that there is such a thing as personality. That is a thing. That is a reality that's sort yeah. of out there objectively. Yeah. Um, not much debate about that. And there's a pattern to our personality, right? I mean, we, we, we don't just wake up and are a dramatically different person today than we were yesterday. There is something about the way kind of the nature nurture combination, the way we've been formed as people that creates this thing called personality. And Noah, here's the interesting thing. Some of us are very similar to each other. Some of us are almost the same with each other, right? I don't mean in superficial ways. I just mean like the pattern of our personality. Like if you and I spent a couple of hours talking yeah. about how we approach life, how we make decisions, where we spend time in our head, past, present, or future, all these kinds of things, we would be like, dude, that's exactly how I work in the world. And you and I would come away saying, we're kind of the same personality. We do this all the time. We say, we're the same personality. Then there's other of us that are kind of similar personalities. We've got some features that are the same. Uh, but we've got some features that are different. And then some of us were like, I have no idea how you work in the world, right? You're very different. And we conflict a lot with people. Yeah, that's like right. That. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And the Enneagram just capitalizes on that basic observation about human beings and provides a really rich personality system or typology for describing these, these ways in which we're the same, the ways in which we're similar, and the ways in which we're different. And it uses nine different um, numbers to talk about nine different basic personalities. And some of your listeners may be thinking nine personalities. Like, did you pull that number out of a hat? Where, do, where does that come mm -hmm. from? Um, why not seven personalities or 14 personalities mm -hmm. or three personalities, something like this. And there's a very good reason for that in Enneagram thinking about personality. Uh, that actually kind of pro tip here, I've, I've read a lot of stuff on the Enneagram. I've listened to a lot of Enneagram teachers, and I'm surprised at how few people, even very experienced teachers, um, uh, talk about the what I call the um, deeper logic of the Enneagram. And the deeper logic of the Enneagram is that personality, our personalities are the result of three things coming together in our life. How we approach, uh, how, how you know, how we approach thinking, doing, and feeling. Three dimensions of, of what it means to be a human being. We think, we do, and we feel. We have emotions, we have thoughts, and we have actions. Um, and the Enneagram says that our personalities are the result of the way we put those three dimensions together in different combinations and in different ways. Hence, three times three equals nine. That's why we have nine personality types in the Enneagram mm -hmm. is we put our, so you and I know, for example, as eights, and now we're getting kind of into the weeds. And I, I'm, I'm just still trying to answer your first question. <laughs> and okay. I've gotten to, 
are in the weeds already. <laughs> but um, you and I, as eights, just to kind of give an example of this, we lead with doing. We support what we instinctively want to do with thinking. So we're very good. Eights tend to be very good at strategizing, visioning, and we tend to be very good at justifying and defending our behavior, right? Yes, we are. Uh, yes, we do. We're, we're good at we, that. This is exactly. But we drop what in Enneagram speak, we drop or we, as it were, neglect the third dimension, which is feeling. So it's very hard for an eight to stop and say, what do I feel about that? The feelings that we have very good access to are anger, <laughs> to be honest. We've got very good access to anger, but the more complex emotions and dimensions, that's harder for us to sort of lay hold of. But anyways, that's just an example from eight. That's the Enneagram theory of personality. It's a typing system uh, that explains not just behavior, but here's the really important thing for your listeners to understand, motivation. There are some personality typing systems like DISC profile. You may, people may have heard of the DISC mm -hmm. profile um, and other things, strengths finders, for example. Uh, many of these systems can be quite helpful. I don't want to diss any of them, but um, th they often tend to focus on behavior. And new pe people that are new to the Enneagram often start there. They say, well, am I a three or am I a five? Or, well, here's how I behave. What does the Enneagram say about that? And then how's it kind of, that's actually not what the Enneagram's trying to get at. The Enneagram's trying to get at your motivational pattern, how you navigate the world, how you see the world uh, in light of thinking, feeling, and doing. So that's the Enneagram. That's kind of the gist of it, what it's about. So uh, why are- And you want to know about anxieties, right? Sorry, I didn't even get to your second question. Yeah, why are Christians uh, sort of afraid? Some Christians, right, are resistant or afraid of the Enneagram. Let alone that the uh, <laughs> this is this was a joke the presenters made on my retreat. You know, they talked yes. about some of the resistances. They said, "Well, you know, you look at it and it looks like a pentagram." You know, <laughs> like, yes, exactly, so, you know, exactly. So, which is just it's funny if you know. Uh, but yeah, just kind of talk about that and, and sure. for, for anyone. Um, and we'll get to as well. Let's talk about some of the fears. And then also uh, maybe the next question on deck will be just what does this have to do with being a Christian? You know, that all sounds great. But the disc profile and Myers-Briggs, you know, that's stuff that businesses use. And I know yeah. the businesses use the Enneagram. So someone might be going, well, why are Christians so... It's so obsessed about the Enneagram. What's it have to do with the Bible or, or with, yeah. and I, I don't mean you have to justify it with Bible verses. I mean, what's it have to do with me following Jesus and kind of yeah. what's all the hype about, but let's, let's yeah. start with some of the fears first. So yes. to hopefully disarm some people, I like any conversation I have on the podcast about maybe uh, any topic that might, might um, arm someone. I'd like to try to kind of disarm mm. that uh, yes. and, and before we can kind of keep moving forward. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and, I, and I very much resonate. When I first was introduced to the Enneagram by my sister-in-law was reading a book about the Enneagram. And I was like, what's that book you're reading? And she flipped it over and it was a red book and it had the Enneagram diagram on the front and it looked like a pentagram. And I'm thinking, she's into <laughs> Satanism. What the heck is going on here? That's a good Baptist response right there. That's a, any... <laughs> exactly. Um, so it, I, it seems to me there are... Um, Yes, there, there is anxiety within the Christian world and uh, about the Enneagram. And it seems to me you can kind of categorize the anxiety in three ways, three different types of anxiety or sources of anxiety for people. Um, the one is that the Enneagram is not Christian. It's not a Christian tool. It wasn't invented by Christians. 
It's used by non-Christians, uh, and when non-Christians use it, it can either be overly psychobabbly goopy, or uh, it can be new agey. Uh, it can be quite secular, right? Just a kind of self-helpy stuff. Sure. So, it, you know, I think a, a, just a basic anxiety is it's not Christian. Like, how can we... Uh, trust it as a deep transformative tool when it's not even a Christian tool. And we don't know where it came from at the end of the day, right? I mean, some people say, oh, Desert Fathers, fourth century and seven deadly sins, et cetera, et cetera. The truth of the matter is, and here I am speaking, I'm not trying to represent somebody. I'm speaking like, we don't really know where the Enneagram came from, right? I mean, that's that's the bottom line. It's a fairly obscure origins kind of comes onto the scene mid 20th century gets injected into Catholic tradition in the in North America it makes its way into evangelical Christianity a decade or so ago I'm, I'm obviously being perhaps overly sim simplistic here but this is the gist of it mm -hmm. and now it's now it's the rage I mean it's incredibly popular yeah but it's not a Christian it's not a Christian tool and that makes some Christians nervous just like um putting a lot of stock in you know um something that's not Christian for Christian purposes of spiritual formation. And, you know, like you described going on a, on a cohort retreat and spiritual practices and using some non-Christian tool for that. Oh, that's a little weird, right? Like, like, how does that work? So there's anxiety for that reason. It's not a Christian thing. There's also anxiety that comes from certain swaths of evangelicalism that it's not theological. Mm -hmm. It's not theological enough or it's not theological, right? That it's, it's the Enneagram will offer us a, a vocabulary and conceptuality way of thinking and talking that is alien to the way the Bible and the Christian tradition thinks and talks. So Enneagram teachers will talk about, quote unquote, sleepwalking through life as a way of describing a lack of self-awareness and that the Enneagram helps you wake up and not be unaware and on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that's a great way of thinking. I mean, that's really that's great. In the Christian tradition, we want to say a lot more than that. We don't want to say people are just sleepwalking through life. We want to say people are dead in their trespasses and sins, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and they may be sleepwalking through life also. Yeah. But so, so you see, my point there is um, theologically sensitive and thoughtful Christians can get anxious about the Enneagram because it doesn't speak in theologically precise and substantive ways, or at least some teachers in the Enneagram don't speak in those kinds of ways. So it's not theological enough, you might say. That's an anxiety. And then there's a third anxiety, which is it's not scientific enough. So this would come from both secular and Christian sources, but you know, here we're talking about evangelicals. Some evangelicals who know their psychology will say things like, this is this is sort of a a faddish tool that lacks what the psychologists will call um, validity and reliability. Hmm. So for something to be a good diagnostic tool of personalities, uh, it, it needs to have what they call validity and reliability. So that if you give a test to somebody, it's a valid test and a reliably predictable, I mean, like it predicts reliably how someone will come out on the test. Um, uh, and, and the Enneagram at this point lacks that sort of scientific rigor, if you will. So some people are anxious about it for that reason, that it, it lacks scientific bona fides. I, my take on all of that is I lay out in the first chapter of the book, the chapter, All Truth is God's Truth, a kind of apologetic for the Enneagram to allay some of those misgivings and concerns with Christians. They're valid. I mean, I, I'm sympathetic with all three of those things mm -hmm. I just mentioned, 
right? It's not a Christian tool, so we need to think carefully about it, one. Two, oftentimes it, people teach the Enneagram and don't have robustly thoughtful Christian theological language when they're talking about it. And they can be quite sloppy and, and frankly, can be even misleading about what, you know, the, 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 uh, the view of the human person that's being articulated with the Enneagram. So that's two. I yeah, agree with that. Yeah. And three, it is true that it lacks the kind of rigor of even a Myers-Briggs typing system, which has more scientific rigor than the Enneagram, I think by a factor of five or 10 or 20, perhaps. I mean, I don't know, but, um, so I agree with all that, but my thing in the in the opening chapter is just to make a couple of moves, and then and then I'll and then I'll <laughs> take a breath and shut up for a second. <laughs> One is, all truth is God's truth. If something is true, and truly describes the world, then it, in a sense, belongs to God. It's God's truth. It emerges and emanates from the mind of God, and it is it is kind of woven into reality and creation by God himself. Whether it comes from a Christian or a non-Christian is, in a sense, immaterial. The question is, is it true? And if it's true, it's God's truth. And then the second move I make in that chapter is to say, and the, Enne the Enneagram helps us access true things about human beings, it seems to me. And then the yeah, second yeah. move I say is, is the Enneagram is a wisdom tradition. It's not intending to be, or I don't want to teach it as a scientifically rigorous way of diagnosing personality. Mm -hmm. That's not the way I want to approach the Enneagram. I don't think people should approach. I think you should approach it as a wisdom tradition. That it is a, It's something you live into and live out as wisdom, just like you do with Proverbs. Proverbs is not scientifically valid and reliable. It rather describes the world and how we can live wisely in the world. So that'd be the second thing I want to say. And then the third in the, in that chapter uh, that I think Christians need to do to, to uh, um, Christianly appropriate the Enneagram is they need to transpose these insights into a Christian key is the way I put it. Things that are true in the Enneagram need to be reframed into a Christian way of thinking about human beings and the world and life. And last thing I'll say here is that, for something to be Christian, it's more important the direction to which it's put or the direction in which it's going or the purpose to which it's put rather than where it comes from. Yeah, that's the key. I like that. So so that's the way I, I think about the, yeah. um, the anxieties about the Enneagram and, and how to respond to it. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I'll give my plug uh, for it just personally. I think one for me, it was the first time in a unique way that my path of discipleship was sort of handcrafted for me. Yeah. So oftentimes, you know, sermons and, and, and Bible studies and all those sorts of, like curriculums are, are they're, they're just, you know, they're general, they're blanket statements yeah. and, and you have to, yeah. you just, you kind of hope you can modify it to your own issues and your own, you know, unique struggles. And for me, when I first heard, you know, the Enneagram uh, described in each of the types and I just, that you talked about it that you know the truth of it like it was just true it was true yes. it was just true i was yes. like that's me that wow yes. whoa and then from there i just had a uh ample resources now at my disposal uh in a language it really gave me a new language for my own as an eight and 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 the sort of yes. shadow side of being an eight and looking back at my life in leadership as well and going, man, I've done all those things to people and I haven't wanted to, but it's just what comes so naturally. And now I have a way of, 
I have a way of of following Jesus. Like I, I have a way of growing. I have a way of, yes. of maturing. And, and so that's really, really great. And then another level of it is as a pastor, uh, when we introduced this to our staff, uh, in, when I was uh, senior pastoring at my, the church I planted, it really helped clear up a lot mm. of co- uh, conflict within our staff. Yes. Uh, we have totally. uh, strong six on our staff, and yes. uh, you know uh, we we would we would butt heads because eights don't oh, eights, follow eights rules. And six, no, yeah, no, no, eights <laughs> and sixes. That's a ticklish relationship. Yeah, there, man. yeah. Eights don't want to follow rules, and sixes they, they love their rules and they love being safe. Totally. Eight C safety almost as a lack of faith. It's you're, oh. where's your faith in and and sixes C eights as reckless and you know and totally and foolish and, and and so when we introduced the language of the enneagram to our staff and we had an enneagram uh, presenter come in and present and did a wonderful job. It just it really really brought harmony uh, to yes. our to our staff and those relationships and we had understanding and I would say yeah. empathy for yeah. for each other and understanding you know how we tick and and anyway there's a lot more to it but I I those are some of the things that come to the surface for me and if you're wondering if a listener's wondering why are people so hyped up about it I would just say because it's good it's true it's, it's yeah. really yeah. it's really helpful you know for for those for those reasons so for for a listener who they're new to the Enneagram. There's a ton of resources out there now. Uh, what do you recommend just for someone to discover their type? If somebody doesn't yeah. know their type or their number, uh, what's what's your your advice for uh, discovering that? Yeah, so there's two there's two roads to go down. It seems to me to discover your type. One is to take a test online, kind of Google up an Enneagram test, take it, and and you know, out comes a graph that says you're kind of strongest in this, and second this, third this, blah blah blah. I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> so listener, don't do it. Don't do it that way. Rather, I recommend a kind of a narrative approach, which mm-hmm. is to say, re- find a resource that describes what it's like to be these different personality types and then read that and, and, and try that on yeah. and see how that fits. That's a much better way of, of approaching the Enneagram. Taking a test online, is, it's just too easy to be answering questions, either how you want to be perceived, how you think you'd be perceived, you know, um, it, you focus on your behavior rather than motivation, so on and so forth. So as in terms of resource, you could go grab um, Suzanne Stabile and Morgan, Ian Morgan Crone's book, The Road Back to You, is a very popular resource. Uh, published by University Press. That's a very, very just sort of accessible, good description of each of the nine types. That would be a great place to start. And a nice feature of that book is at the front of each of the chapters on each of the types, they have a bullet point list of maybe 20 different bullet points of like, you know, you're a one if boom, 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 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and that's very helpful. When I've um, uh, taught the Enneagram to groups, we will often use that, those bullet pointed lists to sort of just do a quick assessment of ourselves. And, and uh, a funny story here, we did this with our ministry staff and we had a children's ministry director who was a one in the Enneagram. And and it was just so charming. Uh, She, she read through the list of the ones about 20 bullet points. And she said, I don't know that I'm a one. I mean, I think I only fit like 18 of these. (laughs) (laughs) We all just absolutely... We yeah. just totally cracked up. It was so great. Oh, but hey, no, it. can I go 
can I go back? Sorry. I'm, I, yeah, no, I, go for it. I, I feel like I'm talking too much on your podcast. Am I, is this all right? People hear from me all the time, man. I, <laughs> okay, I do all episodes where all I do is talk. So yeah, there we go. There. I'm just excited. I love Finally, somebody else is talking. So there we like, go. There we go. I, I just love the Enneagram. I get so stoked up about it. I just want to go back and underscore and highlight and boldface a few of the things you said because they're so important. Sure. And, and I just want to lend my voice to what you said so that it can, as it were, crescendo and really catch the attention of your listeners. You use, you know, talking about like how you got jazzed about the Enneagram. One of the words, little three-letter words you used in your description is wow. And that is often what I say about the Enneagram with folks is uh, like how how often I hear people when they hear the person I described, they just say this to say, wow, mm -hmm. like who's been reading my journal entries? Yeah. yeah. And there's a kind of marveling about unbelievable and what they're bumping up against many people for the first time is the pattern of personality like we talked about at the, at the outset of the, of the podcast. You all of a sudden realize there is a pattern to my personality and other people have observed this and described it with incredible accuracy as though they're inside my head. This is incredible. So that's one of the great things about the Enneagram is it causes people to do wow about how they're wired. The second thing that's another, you didn't mention this, but I've, I've had this experience with people is tears, tears. I've had those as well. I, there it is. <laughs> yeah. There it is. I've had, I yeah. have. I've absolutely had those as well. I can. It was at the workshop we had at our church, and the presenters. Uh, they were uh, Scott and Claire Lowridge, by the way, friends of mine that I've I've talked about their book on the the podcast uh, before, which is another IVP book. Um, oh Noah, I'll get it. I'll, I'll, their book will come to me. Um, Oh, I'm dying here. They're, they're, I'll, 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 I'll find it and, and say it here in a moment. But they were showing videos for each type of uh, interviews uh, with people, just interviews yes. of, of all the ones and the interviews of all ones to choose. And when they interviewed the eights, this lady was talking. And, oh, my goodness, I cried because I'm yes. going. And, 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 and it, because I, 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 I'm just going, you're describing what I yes. feel all the time. And it That's was about it. this intensity that she, it was a woman and she's going, I have this intensity and people, people take it like I'm this mean, yes. aggressive, you know, person and I'm not. And, and it just, and yes. it was just, you know, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. And I'm, and I'm just going, I mean, and as an, I don't know, I, I mean, I know we're not all the same, but I, for me as a, I, I'm a pretty, uh, I'm a pretty emotional eight. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a feeling sort of, sort of eight. And, and, and I, I just, um, and I think some of that is I, I've just been pounding the drum of vulnerability, authenticity for, for yeah. so long and doing, uh, you know, some of the sexual purity ministry that I do. It's like, yes. you, you better yes. have vulnerability and, and transparency with that or within authenticity. But yeah, I cried because it was, it was like somebody uh, could finally relate to me. They could they could finally yes. experience what I experience and didn't even yes. could I didn't even have a name for it. I didn't even have yes. a label for you know for what I was experiencing. So yeah, tears here as well. No, no, that's exactly right. Tears and then and then another phrase which makes me think of the way C.S. Lewis would talk in the Four Loves about friendship and he talks about friendship as standing shoulder to shoulder with someone and you see the world in a similar sort of way and you say you too. Yes. Like I thought I was the only only person in the world who saw the world this way. You too, 
he is is kind of he says like is is the magic of rich friendship and the enneagram does that like noah again you and i as fellow eights we could go away and break bread together or preferably share a beer together an ipa <laughs> and we would have a thousand you too wow yes of yeah. course that would be very bonding and intimacy creating it's one of the great gifts it seems to me of the enneagram and and then and let me just kind of peel one more layer off of this, which is <clears throat> here is it seems to me one of the reasons why the enneagram is so getting so much attention, so attractive and popular. Some people look at that cynically and skeptically. Oh, you know, Americans are just faddish, and this is the latest fad, and it's all therapeutic and trying for the therapeutic, and everybody's just into narcissism themselves, so they're into this new tool about themselves, blah blah blah. I think that's so cynical and jaded and skeptical. That may be true for some people, but I don't think that's the <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think that's the real driver. The real driver is people are dying to be known. Mm. Your sexual purity ministry like we just you just alluded to mentioned yeah. and I, I i would imagine you are finding it be it's so liberating for people and healing for people yeah. when they are known when they're yeah, known very much and the, very and, much and, yeah. and, the, and the enneagram is a marvelous tool to help us be known to one another and then the last thing I'll say, which is, um, I, I want to underscore something you said earlier, concrete. Like you didn't use the word concrete, but you said like, um, uh, you know, sometimes in spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines in our, in our, in our growth as Christians, <clears throat> we can talk about how important it is to kind of be aware of your sin and apply the gospel to our lives and all the rest of it, all of which is totally true. Part of the challenge is it can be incredibly abstract and general. Yeah. You did use that language, like general, very generalized. Like, hi, I'm a sinner, and I need to confess my sin. I need to talk about, I, I, and pride must be an issue, and I need to grow, you know, all this kind of stuff. The Enneagram can take, help us take all of the scriptural truths about who we are as fallen human beings and make them more concrete so we catch ourselves in the act of doing that stuff <laughs> in a very concrete, very specific way. So how does pride, which every Christian needs to confess, how does pride work its way out in the life of an eight yeah. differently than the life of a six? It's very different. And, and for me as an eight, just to kind of pound on the, hey, got to confess your pride and it's going to probably manifest itself in your life in this way because it's the way it does in my life. It might not resonate with a six at all, yeah, at all, because the because pride works itself out in, in light of that person's personality quite differently. So it's beautiful in giving us concrete ways of seeing sin and our struggles uh, in our own lives. Spiritual rhythms for the Enneagram, by the way, to correct my my brain yes. lapse earlier by Scott and Claire. And that's a handbook. It's like a workbook, which I like. You can you 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 can find your type and just work through it. There it is. That's the one. Dude, I got it. I That's got it one. right there. This, this is a good book. Yeah, it it's is. A good book. It's uh, it's um, real nice. It's Scott and Claire came to our church and did and did the workshop, the one I'm talking about uh, that that we had we had done for our. It was for our staff, but for anybody else that wanted to come. And it was, I like it because it it it. It you can just go to your type and you can just you can just work on your type. You can do a workbook. Yeah. You 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 mark up the book a bunch. You 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 pen it up and all this. It's it's very cool. So, well, let me uh, one question I want to ask you 
that might be on some listener's mind now that we're talking about some other books and things and Enneagram is a craze yeah. that's out there. There's a lot of books out there uh, on yes. the Enneagram that have been published more and more in recent years. And so what is unique? What, why did you write uh, The Enneagram Goes to Church? Yeah, yeah, great, great question, and it—I it, mean, it is very much a, a craze. <laughs> I have gotten usually popular in the last five, ten years. Um, but, but the truth of the matter is, there has been um, no. Uh, there's, there's no book to my knowledge. I don't, I don't know the one exists uh, that applies the insights and wisdom of the Enneagram to the life and ministry of the local church. Mm-hmm. And so it just emerges from my own life story, like as a pastor. For 15 years, um, and a theologian, um, and working, you know, and, and a preacher, and leading a staff, and providing congregational care, and building teams, and on and on, all the dimensions and demands of being a pastor. So I, I've been doing that for years, and then fell in love with the Enneagram. And I thought, well, I wonder if I can put these two things together mm-hmm, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and see what might come out. And so my book is taking the wisdom of the Enneagram and applying it to the life and ministry of the church. And so it's not so much a chapter one is about ones, chapter two is about twos in the Enneagram chapter. It's not that, it's not structured in that way. It's rather structured as a chapter on preaching, leadership, congregational care, worship, teams, and then the personality of your church. So it's really trying to get into how to see the the ministry functions and dynamics of a local church in light of the wisdom of the Enneagram. What can the, what can the Enneagram contribute yeah. to ministry leaders and helping them lead better? Yeah. And, and that is a very unique uh, tool. It's a very, it's a helpful and, and I think needed tool. And you, you get to a lot of, a lot of things that I think are plaguing church leadership. You mentioned mm. in, in, in the book, yeah. you, you mentioned things that, Often, and there are things I'm 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 talking about more and more on this podcast. Even as as I anticipate my book's release coming up in July, and am working on my own soul work that mm. is that is around that. And always, uh, I've always been aware. So planting a church yeah. and having a lot of you you have a lot of insecurity about something like that because you, you, you put a lot of your your sense of worth into that rather than your sense of worth being grounded and rooted in the gospel in being a son or a daughter of God and his love for you you know defining defining your sense of worth because of what Jesus did for you instead you easily quickly can look towards the church that you started and if it's quote unquote successful yes. or not, and yeah. the author world, the book world is very much the same. Oh yeah. Uh, did you get an agent or not? Did you get published or not? And you get that stamp of approval. Did your book sell or not? Do, are you in demand or not? And you you end up putting your sense of of value and worth in these things, which which really are idols when you when you. Mm look to them for that yeah. for that sense of worth. And so we normally, we being the church at large, normally only see this problem uh, when after the wreck has happened, like after everything's yeah. hit the fan yeah. and you're yeah. going, oh, that's ugly, that's messy. He just got yeah. fired for that. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, meanwhile, I, I think many churches are filled with leaders who are faking it. They're fake, they're... They're 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 putting up a front in front of their churches and their staff because 
for a couple of reasons. They're afraid to be vulnerable. They're afraid they'll get fired if they are vulnerable. Uh, also, uh, that are swept up in their own ego and in their own, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. And often our churches, our, our members are left either to only shower praise on this person. And, and, and so leaders can just surround themselves with, with people that only praise them. Or everyone's afraid to speak truth to this leader because they're afraid the leader will lash out or they're afraid it'll just cause conflict. And so they're just not, I don't mean to, I don't mean to throw all the church under the bus, but the the church is beautiful and it's Jesus's bride, but there, there does seem to be, I, for, uh, there's enough anecdotal evidence of a lot of dysfunction within yes. churches and church oh, yeah. staffs and and, and just yeah. not just staffs but deacon boards and elder boards and 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 le- church leadership and and a lot of people go I don't I, I'll attend church and be a member but I'm not joining that because I know yeah. about church politics and I know about all yes. the infighting and so what we, you talk about a fair amount of that kind of woven in and out of yes. the Enneagram goes to church. And I know I said a lot there, but can you just kind of respond to that? Yeah, of yeah we'd love to. How do we get here? And and, and maybe yeah. how a tool like your book can 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 provide some handholds for us uh, to be a lot healthier in this area. Yeah, <clears throat> well, thank you for the question. I mean, it's a great question and I resonate so much with it. And I really actually very much appreciate you spotting uh, my burden for what you're talking about woven through the whole book. Um, I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm more, let me put it this way. No, I'm more passionate about Christians and people and pastors being in what I call integrated leaders than I am that they become geeky about the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by integrate. And in fact, I, I'm excited about the Enneagram primarily because it's helping me become a more integrated person, a more integrated Christian, a more integrated leader and pastor. Um, What do I mean by integrated? What I mean is bringing the parts of your personhood together into a coherent whole. One of the great, um, one of the things that is bedeviling Christians, evangelical Christians, and, and we see it with evangelical Christian leaders, but it's true for, I think, many evangelicals, is a lack of integration. Yeah, They have a part of their life that they have nurtured and developed and cultivated and is spiritually formed and is vibrant and loves Jesus and so on and so forth, so on and so forth. It's all real. They read their Bible and they pray and they give to the church and might even be on a pastoral staff team and preach good sermons. And yet they have another part of them, which is the shadow side, the fallen side, the broken side. And the great tragedy is when we as Christians don't, don't seek integration of our whole person into not just holiness, but wholeness, which is both spiritual formation, we're spiritually formed, but we're also psychologically healed and matured and growing and developing. Uh, How often do we find, I mean, tragically, do we see on the front page of a Christianity Today, or depending upon the scope of it, the yeah. scale of it, on the front page of the New York Times, yeah, yeah, some super well-known Christian who has a successful Christian leader who has collapsed under the weight of their own success because their lack of integration 
couldn't sustain the weight of their success. It happens all the time. The most recent tragic high profile example is Robbie Zacharias. Mm -hmm. Like that is absolutely heartbreaking at uh, so many different levels for the victims of his, his, his abuse, uh, his family, his ministry, his donors, the people that he's led to Christ and on and on and on. Yeah. But I know people well who know him well or knew him well, and they were bamboozled by the news of all of this. They could not, what I'm trying to drive at now is they could not get their head around how these two things can coexist. Yeah. And my answer to that is disintegration. That's mm -hmm. how they exist. Mm -hmm. I'm going on too long here, but just to say the Enneagram, because it focuses on human personality and not just at like stroking our egos, like, aren't you great? You're so special. Here's your Enneagram type. It, it does affirm the gold of your personality type, but it also exposes the shadow of your yeah. personality type, which is where the deepest, it seems to me, work that we all have to do in terms of growing in Christ needs to happen is with the shadow side of our personality, the kinds of stuff that we can't simply pray away one afternoon. Or have a Bible verse and duct tape it to our soul and somehow we get better overnight. That absolutely does not happen with the deep structure of our personality. The Enneagram drives us to grappling with that. So for you and me, let me use this since we're both eights. The deep personality structure that we have, we are so armored and we have been since we were little boys, so armored against vulnerability. Mm so armored against vulnerability. And the reason for that is because we are so tender and sensitive as people. So I love the fact that you talk about how you're crying, like you're very, and you even said like, I'm one of those emotional tender eights. And I'm thinking to myself, every eight is an incredibly emotional tender eight, mm -hmm. but it's oftentimes buried under yeah. layer upon layer upon layer of defense of, of kind of big, strong, def, you know, powerful personality. If I'm going to really grow in Jesus, Noah, if you're really going to grow in Jesus, I mean, I'm preaching the choir now. I know you know this, but if I'm going to really grow in Jesus, Todd, I have got to do business with that dimension and dynamic in my life. Otherwise, I'm going to live a very disintegrated life that yeah. is going to potentially be very costly and damaging to me and others over time. Yeah. Yeah. And you you talked there and throughout the book about awareness. And I think yeah. that... I just I've just concluded if we if we're not intentional about this stuff, if we're not intentional about awareness for what I mean is if we were if you just say, oh, yeah, I'm aware. I know. I know what's yeah. going on. I, I know my shadow side. And that, and that you can apply that to your uh, your sexual sin life, your sexual temptations. Oh, yeah, I got yeah. that. I got that under control. Like these we, we if what when we think that we're good, we think we have it all figured out. We think we don't have to do any work in this area. Uh, that's when we fail. That's when, because, yes. and, and I just think that happens so much in church leadership where we just go, man, I'm, I'm mature. I went to seminary. I know the Bible. I love Jesus. And everybody else is looking at the leader going, yeah, that leader, they're the, they're the pinnacle. They're the, yeah. the model. They're special. They're, they're our little, you know, picture of Jesus. And so why would they struggle with any, uh. you know, of these things? And it just becomes this weird environment where i mentioned it earlier people are afraid to talk to you about your 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 blind spots and yeah. if you if you 
we're at a point where you want to work on your blind spots. I mean, no, most of the time, I think in those unhealthy situations, you're not even aware of your blind spots. You just think right. you don't have any. Uh, but what I love about the Enneagram and, and, and using it in community, I love that. I love using it with a church staff or uh, in whatever kind of your community setting is. It could even be uh, you know, a, a much deeper, more intimate community setting of maybe some accountability partners or, you know, people you're really walking with on a deep level. I just feel like it gives you a language. I get, it gives you permission. It gives you permission yeah. to talk about your blind spots. It gives you a language to talk about your blind spots. And if you're with other people that understand the Enneagram, then it doesn't come across as uh, offensive. It doesn't come across as in, in your face when, when someone notices something about uh, yeah. that's untransformed about yes. your, you know, your type. And so that's, I don't know, that's been really freeing for me. And yeah. as I, as I look, you know, forward into my life of ministry and uh, in the future, we'll be, a, you know, back in senior leadership again. And I, 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 this, this, uh, this tool to, to be able to use the Enneagram with a church staff and have that conversation to help each other, because yeah. one, the strengths of our the gold side of our type are beautiful, and that's you, right. You 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 can really utilize that even within a church uh, is, of, of capitalizing on everybody's passions and strengths. But I love an environment where we can just speak candidly and with love about yeah. our blind spots, and to be able to receive that. And I just we just we need more of that. We need more of that in in church leadership because we all have them. We all have blind spots, yes. and frankly, yes. we don't. We don't know how to fix them on our own. We just, no, that's right. We don't. No, that's exactly right. And um, uh, and, and you, you, this is what you're saying. The language I use to describe, to talk about what you were just describing so well, is the enneagram gives us a shame-free yeah. way of yeah, talking true. of talking about what makes us crazy about each other, like like make, drives us crazy about each other. Right? It's so often, right? Yeah, yeah. And so much of you know working together with teams, what makes that hard is personality personality, right? Anybody who's served on a team, whether it's a missions team or a church team or a small group or whatever, I mean, you kind of go crazy because people are very different and can can rub each other the wrong way. And the Enneagram just gives us a shame-free way of talking about, hey, you're, you know, that, 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 you know, the way in which you always ask questions and interrogate to try to find assurances about moving forward with something makes me crazy. I always feel like you're <laughs> you're challenging my leadership and vision. You know, so what I'm describing there is like the way an eight can respond to a six. Yes. <laughs> Board. Yeah. yeah. We can go around the horn of the yeah. Enneagram and, yeah. and just give example after example after example of how, how we chafe <laughs> with one another. And the Enneagram is just beautiful and, and leveling the playing field and giving us a shame free way of, of talking candidly about that stuff. And, and we didn't mention yet, even uh, within marriages, how the Enneagram yeah. can be very helpful. If both spouses are on board, I don't recommend just uh, call, diagnosing your spouse's number and yes, saying, exactly. well, you're acting like a one right now, you know, and exactly. uh, my wife is a one, you know, she doesn't appreciate when I do that. But if you're if you're both on the same page and you can talk about that and have that language, or even if you're not, you can you can you can read about your spouse's type and you can yeah. read about the best yeah. way to love that type. And uh, man, that's yeah. been, that's been really, really helpful as well. So um, this, yeah. So, so I love this and I, I love a tool that, that, that just brings us into greater freedom. It brings us into, into mm. greater freedom and growth where we can deal with some of this stuff before yeah. it hits the fan, right? Before, yes, before absolutely. it gets 
to that point. And I love that you've written a book that's a tool for the church. It's a tool for for church goers. I think it affects yeah. how we approach even attending church and interacting in church within community and certainly is a, is a tool that a church staff could pick up and read through together and start mapping out where you're at as a staff and how you can really be a, a community as a staff. How can you sharpen each other and find those blind spots and celebrate those strengths? And so, man, I think Amen. it's I think it's awesome. Uh, any any Thank final you. any final thoughts uh, that you want to give uh, give to listeners before signing off? Yeah, no. Uh, for those of you who are excited about the enneagram, I mean, just just blessings on your continued journey of of understanding yourself for the sake of others. And I think that's the key. Like becoming more self-aware is not to become more of a navel gazer or more obsessed with self, but you cannot give away what you do not have. And if you do not have a self, that is to say, if you are a mystery to yourself, if you are unknown to yourself, you don't have a good handle on who you are, you cannot give yourself away Mm -hmm. in sacrificial love that models the life of Jesus. So for those of you who are excited by the Enneagram, I mean, have that as your as your frame of reference. This is is growing and understanding myself so that I can give myself away well for the sake of Jesus to other people. Well said. Thanks so much, Todd. Thanks for joining us here on the flip side again. Great to be with you, man. We are back. I hope that conversation about the Enneagram was interesting, was helpful, encouraged you, maybe gave you some hope, maybe gave you a tool to use with your church and with your church staff or a ministry team that you are on. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that conversation with Todd and I really enjoyed his book. I really I really like that having that tool, that tool particularly if you're in ministry leadership, hand that sucker out to everybody on your team and it it really provides permission. It provides that safe place to talk about our blind spots. I mean, you, you imagine setting up uh, uh, your next church ministry meeting, your staff meeting, or your leadership team meeting, and agenda item number one, blind, blind spots, blind spots and weaknesses. Let's all go around the table and share what John's blind spots are and his weaknesses. That, <laughs> if you're John, you're going, are you kidding me? Is this, is this just hate on John Day? Is this John Roast? So that's why we don't do those things. We just we just let those weaknesses and blind spots exist without ever talking about them to that person. So what we do instead is we we gossip, which is a sin. We talk behind that person's back. Oh, John, man, he's like this. John's always like this. Oh, John's doing this again. Oh, I know. John's like this. John did this to me, and he did this to that person, and oh, and that that's not the way Christian community is supposed to work. So so I love this as a tool. I love the Enneagram Goes to Church as a tool that you can talk about the stuff that needs to be talked about. We can grow in areas. And I'm telling you, you're if you're hurting, hurting with a T, hurting people as a leader, you're hurting your staff, you're hurting your congregation. Uh, you know, for, so for example, for me as an eight, 
And I have a lot of three in me as well. I just tend to be task-oriented. I tend to be big vision. I want to attack. I want to see progress. I want to advance the light of the kingdom of God against the gates of darkness. I want to be in on the fight and throwing punches. That's what I want. And so within that, I miss out on the people that are right in front of me. I miss out on caring for people and loving individual people and listening to people's stories and lives and and sitting with them. And I didn't get into this with Todd. It was on my question sheet, but we just, you know, sometimes you go with the flow of an interview and and it was it was just sort of in a different direction than than our conversation went. But I I do think that it's wise, and I, I'm not sure if Todd would agree with me or not. Uh, I do think it's wise though, even to to hire your staff, or you know, you may not have staff, you may have volunteers, but to appoint volunteers for roles according to their Enneagram type. And some types are better suited for the upfront vision casting role. Some types are better suited for the one-on-one care role. Not everybody's good at everything. And I think there's a lot of freedom and joy that comes when you get to work in your strengths and you can burn yourself out really fast working outside of your strengths or working in a role in the organization if you're the lead person or on the lead team and you're not wired for that or if you're in a sort of maybe middle management role or 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 a I don't know what you'd call it a, a task doer role maybe at the the bottom of the organizational hierarchy and you're you're wired to lead your you're bursting with vision and 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 it's not an organization where that's really welcomed from from that level that you're at i think enneagram type helps a lot with helping find the way god has wired you and gifted you and to do a role that 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 fits you best so anyway back to my first point that was a tangent because i was saying for me one of my weaknesses is I'm I'm not good. I couldn't I would not be a good counselor. So there's a lot of people, professional counselors, and a lot of people are just really good at that one-on-one sit-down conversation with somebody. And that is so awesome. And I cannot do that for my full-time job. I have to do that as a friend and as a Christian, we all have to do that. And as an eight, I have to figure out how to do that well, but I also have to be realistic about my own limitations and and I wouldn't sign up to be a counselor. And so therefore I should not also then be a care pastor or, you know, different there's different titles and different different churches. Maybe you'd even call that a discipleship pastor or a, a shepherding pastor. That's that's not my role. That's and, and oftentimes someone who's wired for that, I don't think should be the person who's casting vision and taking new ground and, and conquering new mountains. And even sometimes it doesn't always translate over well into preaching where you're inspiring and you're challenging and you're convicting and you're, you're not afraid to offend people when that's needed for the sake of, of the gospel. I mean, Jesus was not afraid to offend people when, when, when needed. 
And different types are going to do that in different ways. So I just love this conversation. I love having this language. And I think it can be really helpful among staff because we all have this shadow side. It's not really going to go away. I don't I don't think the point of the Enneagram is, hey, here's your weaknesses and, and they're all they're all gonna go away. It's an awareness. Having awareness is huge, and becoming transformed is huge. And and I mentioned spiritual spiritual rhythms of the Enneagram. Uh, written by Scott and Claire Lowridge, as well as uh, Doug and Adele Calhoun. And that book is so helpful because you can just work on your stuff. You, you, and there's no shame. That was the word Todd used. It's, sh- it's shame-free. It's shame-free. So back to your staff meeting, it's not piling shame on John. It's shame-free. We're just working on our stuff. We have a language. We're celebrating our strengths and the way we're uniquely wired. I love that a six is not wired like an eight. I've had people come to me that are not eights, and they want to be more eight-like. And I go, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, and I think there's something healthy about that. Not an envy in a sin sort of way, but this, that, 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 that healthy admiration that maybe a healthy envy of the way other other people are wired and gifted where honestly most sixes are not going to struggle with the things an eight struggles with a six isn't usually going to run people over with their drivenness and their their intensity and they might want to be more intense and they can maybe, you know, lean into some of that, but they'll never be so intense that they hurt people and harm people along the way. So I love the team aspect of it. I just love that. I love how we can we can admire the the traits in, in, in others. And when we I'd love a team where you just had one through nine on that team. And I think you can do amazing things if you all were speaking this language. But in a team where you had one through nine and everybody was untransformed and not aware of their shadow side and of their blind spots and and not willing to work on them and, and really not understanding that empathy piece, not understanding how and why a six is wired and, and why they work the way that they work. There's tons of conflict and, and there's tons of confusion because like I said, when I was interviewing Todd, I can look at a six and go, man, you lack faith. You're... Let's go. Don't you believe in God? Don't you believe God can do these things? And the six is looking at me and going, you are a fool. You aren't listening to wisdom. You're impulsive. You're arrogant. You're, you're reckless. And, and, and how, how that all can turn on a dime, uh, that negative conflict heads bashing into each other that all can turn on a dime when you have the language of the Enneagram that you're working through uh, with your team where I can go, man, a six, they think about stuff I don't think about. Same for a five, same for a four. You you know, you go down the line, but you go, man, they, they, a six, they, they think about, well, sixes are very loyal. That's, that's first of all, but, but they think about safety. They think about making sure this thing's going to last, making sure this thing is going to not hurt people. And that is beautiful when a six can work with an eight or a nine can work with an eight or a five can work with an eight where, you know what we're good at as eights? 
putting the pedal to the metal. We push the gas pedal. And if you are pushing the gas pedal, but the engine doesn't work, or nobody's steering, or you're going way too fast, you're going to crash. You're going to drive this thing off a cliff. But if, if you have a car, and you might know a lot about the car, a five. You might you might know that the car is very safe, a six. You might make sure that everybody in the car is happy and and everybody's content and that's a that's a 9 you might make sure the car it looks pretty sweet it's 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 unique and it has some style to it a 4 and i but if there's nobody to push the gas pedal an 8 that car isn't going anywhere right so i just i i love i love how how we all work together and it's it's beautiful. So another resource I'd recommend, which is if you you're not ready to read a book, it's just maybe too much, uh, would be the EnneagramInstitute.com. Not a Christian uh, resource, but super super practical. And again, I think it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy for a a well-rounded Christian to 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 do the filtering to apply how this how this applies to your your walk with Jesus and and to synthesize those two things pretty easy. So Enneagram Institute what I like about that website is you can just click on numbers. My wife and I uh she's a 1, I'm an 8. You can click on that and you can learn about how an 8 and 1 can best love each other and just read a couple paragraphs. You can learn why 8s and 1s clash. And you can read a couple paragraphs there. And the same, like I said, with an eight and a six. It doesn't have to be your spouse. It can be someone on your on your staff team, someone you work with, someone you're in conflict with. And it almost feels like love languages sometimes where you go, oh, man, to show love to a six, to show that I, you know, I honor them, I respect them, I appreciate them. This is how they tick. This is how they're wired. I, that's not even on my radar. I never would have thought of that. And it, it gives you some of those some of those tips. So so there you go. Helpful stuff, you know, as we're man, we're just we're we're trying to be more like Jesus. We don't want these blind spots. We want the fruits of the spirit. That's what we want. And I, I just it doesn't work to shove a square peg into a round hole. It and I, I don't think it works to just use sheer willpower and go, I'm gonna be more you know, loving, joyful, peaceful, faithful, kind, goodness, good. Uh, I'll be more faithful. You know, I'm going through the fruits of the spirit. I'm just going to, I'm going to be more of those things. I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to really memorize those verses. And scripture memory is great, but I'm telling you the Enneagram and a lot of these, a lot of these spiritual kind of rhythms and, and, and the, Low Ridges and Calhoun's book gets into some of these spiritual rhythms, these paths of discipleship for for the Enneagram. Uh, man, they they bring spiritual fruit. And like Todd said, for the sake of others, for the sake of others, the alternative is to hurt people unintentionally and repeatedly and not know how to stop. <laughs> That's the worst. So the, the alternative is, to not hurt people, where you just become much more loving and effective. And in Todd's book, he talks about emotional intelligence as well. We all need emotional intelligence, but ministry leaders, holy smokes, we need emotional intelligence. As an eight, eight's uh, a mentor of mine, Kevin Butcher. Um, I've interviewed him in the past on the podcast, and we have another interview with him uh, coming up very soon. His book, Free, comes out April. 
uh, I think it's fourth or sixth, something April sixth. Let's go. I don't know. It's something in there. April fourth or sixth, and we have an interview uh, with him on the book dropping on that on that day. So probably will be the next flip side episode, one of the next one or two. But Kevin and I are both eights, and we're we're wired very similarly. And Kevin said to me once as we were talking. He said, you know, eights, we eights, we we think we're the smartest person in the room. And we do. And <laughs> I was having a conversation with one of my best friends who's a nine. And uh, we co-pastored in, in Lansing for a very long time. And and we, 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 we stay in very good touch. And I said to him, uh, what, what can I work on as a leader? I'm in a phase now. I'm not, you know, there anymore. I'm in a phase now where I'm I'm, I want to be developed for the next stage. I want to be a better leader, a stronger leader. I don't want to hurt people the way I hurt people uh, at times in, in my time in Lansing because I'm a strong eight and visionary, you know, and all these sorts of things. And I don't remember, I'm paraphrasing here, exactly how he said it, but he said, <laughs> it was just funny because he, he said exactly what Kevin said. Uh, he said, you know, I think you think you're the smartest person in the room a lot of times. And I just owned up to that. And I said, I do. I do think that. I do think that a lot of times. And he goes, you know, oftentimes you are. When, when it comes to figuring out a problem, when it comes to how to get out of a jam, when it comes to making something happen, you can do all those things. And Kurt is a nine. So he's always making sure you are feeling very loved and appreciated and he hates conflict and he hates giving any negative feedback, which is what I was asking for. So he affirmed all those things. He's like, man, that stuff's awesome. I know the, that stuff is, is a great, unique gift. But he talked about emotional intelligence. He said, you don't have that. So you're not the smartest person in the room because that's part of being smart intelligence isn't just how much knowledge you have about something that would be more of a five a an educational sort of phd level i know a lot about this subject intelligence is also not that eight i can fix anything i can do anything just get out of my way and i'll make it happen uh that's feeling of being the smartest person in the room you know and that's maybe a part of intelligence, but if you don't have emotional intelligence, and this applies to all the numbers, and that's where Todd gets into it with the Enneagram goes to church. Again, it's not just an Enneagram book. It's not just nerding out on the Enneagram. It's getting into all of these nooks and crannies of our weaknesses and blind spots, but very much integrated into emotional intelligence. Uh, the Enneagram stuff is, and, and Todd's book particularly and learning emotional intelligence, learning that sense of awareness, learning how to manage your your emotions. And oh my goodness, I'm so emotional. My uh, a friend of mine who's an eight, she is uh, she's a principal at a, a school, I think at a high school, a very large high school. And she said she cried. You know, we're we're both crying. We were at we were at a, a the first the first retreat I went to. We were talking about being an eight. And she's like, oh, I was crying too during that part. And we eights, you know, we, all of our emotions are just all on our sleeve. Does it, it's, you know, Todd mentioned the anger emotion for me and for her, we were commiserating together that, that sense of friend. I, you know, um, that Todd mentioned with CS Lewis, a friend is someone who says me too, or I forget how he phrased it. I feel that way too. Just, we're both going, our emotions are just 
all cranked to 11. That's what she said. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what the emotion is. It's sadness, anger, happiness, joy. It's just passion all the time, all the, you know, never stopping. And uh, it, you, that, that's that intensity that I, that I was talking about uh, earlier. And so emotional intelligence is learning to regulate those emotions learning and, and and I this is stuff I talk to my counselor about so so you 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 get it kind of dug up and uncovered with some enneagram stuff and now you've got some you've got some real fuel you've got some real meat to feed on in a counseling session with a with a trained therapist and 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 it's and it's really really been helpful so what what does it look like to be able to to be to have uh mindfulness so this idea of mindfulness where where you're aware of your emotions and you're aware when they're going off the chart and you're able to actually release some some pressure from that balloon before it pops and to do that in healthy ways and and I'm telling you if I could master that oh I'd be I'd be the most effective tool in the world in God's in God's hands and for for me and my own you know my own shadow side to to be able to love people and care more about people than about the task. I don't have to worry about caring too much about the task. That is my autopilot. It will happen every single time. What I have to be super intentional about is do I care about this person right in front of me? Do I care about their story? Do I care about their day? Do I care about them? And uh, there's some great there's a book called Primal Leadership. If you struggle with this sort of stuff and you're in leadership, that I, I've, uh, I'm on my second time going through right now. And it just talks about the emotional intelligence as it relates to leadership. And if you're strong in certain areas, how to cultivate more of a coaching style of leadership, more of a collaborative style of leadership, if you're wired like me to be very much a visionary leader. And, you know, those sorts of things and, and, and also vice versa. So this is helpful stuff. It's not navel gazing. It's not obsession over self. This is about loving people well. And, hey, it's about being effective. It's about bearing fruit. It's about not hurting people. It's about it's about producing fruit for the kingdom. So so welcome to the, the, the Enneagram conversation. If you're new to it, I'd encourage you to explore a little bit. And if you've been around for a while, uh, I hope this conversation was new. I hope it was a new angle and a, uh, something that really gets you thinking about and something you can apply to your immediate ministry setting. And with that, uh, you are always welcome to email the show, podcast at beyondthebattle.net. I'd love to interact with you more on this. You also can connect with me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those are at Noah Philippiak. That's nice about having a weird name like Noah Philippiak. There's, I'm the only one out there. I don't have to add any numbers or hyphens or anything to any of my social media handles or my emails or anything like that. Yeah, it's I'm the only one at Noah Flipiak. That's another way you can interact with me over podcast stuff. And uh, I'd love to read your stuff on the air that you ask if it's if it's appropriate and, and interact with it here. So thanks. Thanks for going on this conversation with us. And we are now getting to that part of the show. 
that I alluded to at the very beginning, the part you've all been waiting for. You've been you've been dying to get get let's get done with this interview. Let's stop talking about all this spiritual transformation stuff. Let's stop talking about all of this ways to be more fruitful in the kingdom, how to grow closer to Jesus. Let's get past all that. I've been waiting, I've been waiting. Let's finally get to Noah's ramp. So here we are. Now before I jump into Noah's ramp, a fair warning. If you're new to the podcast, if you are a well-rounded person, if you're a transformed person, if you're a mature person, if you're interested in spiritual things and growing more healthy and mature, this is not the section for you. So you just want to turn the podcast off right now. You know, tune in next time. We'll see you then. No, no sweat. We love you. Uh, if you if you listen any further, you've been warned. It is completely uh, your fault. It is completely your uh, responsibility uh, for 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 disliking uh, what comes next. Because what comes next is 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 and, and I know I know sometimes uh, <laughs> the sarcasm it doesn't always it doesn't always land. Uh, this this is all just uh, it's utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense. I want you to know that this is a this is a little bit of comedy. It's an attempt. Let me preface that. It's an attempt at comedy. It's an effort at comedy, and it is meant to make the world a better place. Brought to you by Angry Brew Coffee. It is the one, the only Noah's rant. Noah's rant. I am a thirsty guy. I drink a ton of water. I do. I just drank water now. I just literally, as that drop was playing that you heard for Noah's Rant, I was drinking water. Water is healthy. Your body's made up of a bajillion percent water. I'm a healthy person. I exercise. I drink a ton of water. And in fact, I don't drink soda or pop or Coke, wherever you're from, and you call it all different things, I don't drink that stuff. How about that? I don't drink that stuff. Haven't drank it since my senior year of high school. Running track. I mean, there you go. Bam. Boom. And I'm cheap. I don't even, I don't like buying things. And water is free. That's beautiful. I love that. It comes out of the faucet. It's free. It is beautiful. So, I like to drink water. I have two beefs about water. This is not a rant against water. Some of you are going, he's going to rant against water. This <laughs> The Noah's rant is reaching new lows. <laughs> it's reaching new depths. Or if you're like my friend from new no it's from philly water <laughs> it's water water it's not water it's water i had a uh, this friend that we worked at camp together and he would preach and he would say water We're like what is he talking about <laughs> we asked him and he said it's water no it's water no it's water we would just have him say it over and over. Hey, Johnny, Johnny, say, say water, say water, water. <laughs> he did it. Do it again. Do it again. All right. So I know we have a big reach on the Noah's rant. I know we're big in Philly, and so I just want to throw a shout out to my water drinkers out there. Here's my beef. 
Here's my beef as it relates to water. I try not to drink a lot of bottled water. I, I, do, I do think we should be environmental as Christians. God created the world. We're meant to steward the world. There's only one world, and we should recycle, and water's also free. So why would you really need to buy bottled water? Anyway, but let's face it. We all drink bottled water. This isn't a rant. This is not some self-righteous rant how you shouldn't drink bottled water. I think you should drink less, and I think you should recycle all those bottles. And you should use a hard plastic bottle whenever you can and fill it up and carry it around. This is not about that, though. What this is about... I really, so, the, the idea of bottled water to start with is absolutely ridiculous i legit when was it 25 years ago this started up on the scene I, i'm not kidding you i swear two guys are in a room and and a dude goes dude bill <laughs> bill was the same guy that <laughs> bill was the same guy that worked with this guy that that invented honey crisp apples out of his head last episode so he was the same dude he's like bill check this out check this out Water is free. It's free, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it, Fred. Freddy. Got it, Freddy. Freddy, man. Well, I know water's free. Where are you getting at here, bro? Where are you getting at? What, what, are you, what are you sniffing here? What are you stepping in? And so Freddy's like, yo, 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 Bill. Bill, water's free. So you know, you know, you know how the best way to make money well, and Bill says, yeah, sell stuff. You sell stuff, right? Yeah, and the problem with selling stuff is you always got to you got to spend a little to make a little. You've heard that you've heard that phrase before. You got to spend a little to make a little. If you're going to sell shoes, for example, you got to yeah, spend money. You got to you got to make the shoes. They're made of leather or or canvas or whatever. You got to you got to get the material and you know, sell it. So, dude, 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 you know the best way to make money? What? What? Let's Let's find something that's free, for real, for just totally, totally free and accessible to almost everybody, and let's sell it. Let's make a ton of money on it. And and Bill goes, Freddie, you're crazy. People aren't that dumb. They're they're always <laughs> gonna buy something that they can just get for free whenever they want it. What what are you even thinking about selling? And and Freddie goes, I, actually, I'm just brainstorming because let's, let's make a list. What's free? Well, like, you know, sticks are free. Grass is free. Those, and, 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 and Bill's going, Peep, you're an idiot, Freddie. Nobody's going to buy sticks. Nobody's going to buy grass. You can just go outside and pick up some grass. Nobody's going to buy that. Bro, yeah, but what if, what if we put it in a bottle? What if we sold bottled grass or bottled sticks? People like bottles. They just do. It's a thing. And, and, and Bill goes, Freddie, you're nuts. This, your idea is never going to work. You're a complete idiot. And then, boom, the light bulb clicks as, 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 as Bill takes a, a long drink of water. And, and, and Freddie goes, Bill, I have got it. Let's sell water in bottles. And Bill goes, bro. People aren't going to buy water just because you put it in the bottle. It's free. They can get it wherever they want. And anyway, they, they, they just make a long story short. They made a they they made a bet and a wager. They bet a hundred bucks on it. And Freddie's like, "Bro, I'm telling you, 
They'll buy it. And Bill takes them up on his bet. They start bottling water. They just bottle free water. They put it in these, these clear bottles. And people start buying the stuff like hotcakes, bottle after bottle. They're selling bottles for a dollar each. People are just throwing their money in the garbage can, and they can't get enough of this bottled water. So, of course, you know, Freddie won the bet, Bill's out 100 bucks, But they're both bajillionaires now but because they have no overhead, you know, whatsoever. So so this this rant's not even about that. I mean, we could do a rant on bottled water. It's it's pretty much one of the dumbest ideas ever besides bottling sticks and grass. You're selling something that's completely free to everybody. This rant's not even about that. What this rant's about, because that's bad enough. But I, I, I get it. I get it. It's not a self-righteous rant. This is all part of our, this is as, a, as American as apple pie. It's as American as baseball now. It's a part, it's, it's like the internet. It's not all great, but it's part of our society. Bottled water. It's everywhere. You go to a conference, you go to a, you go to a, you're in a waiting room and there's bottled water. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a waiting room. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm pretty thirsty. You know, I'm pretty thirsty. I drink a lot of water and, and, and I want to stay hydrated. And so I ask if, if they have any uh, bottled water, and 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 she uh, hands me an eight ounce, an eight ounce bottle of water. Have you ever seen an eight ounce bottle of water? I mean, what on earth? Who need who who wants an eight ounce bottle of water? I told you. Actually, did you? Know, I said I was thirsty. An eight ounce bottle of water. It's it's about the size of my pinky. An eight, an eight ounce bottle of water would be it'd be like if you were thirsty and and you open up your mouth while it's raining, and, and, and you know a few drops a few drops fall into your mouth and you go really are they are they just were they not making enough money on a dollar per bottle of water when it was twelve ounces of, of water or sixteen ounces of water that now they can. They can make the bottle even smaller. They can, they can actually use even more plastic. Were, were we not killing the earth at a fast enough pace? Was the earth going, yo, good try killing me. Yeah, good try, humanity. I'm way ahead of you, though. If you want me to utterly die and cease to exist, you got to accelerate the pace. Let's get even more pollutants out there. And, and we go, yo, earth, we're not, we're not going to take that. We're going to take that smack talk from you. You thought that 12-ounce bottles of water were bad. How about 8-ounce bottles of water? You thought 16 ounces were bad. Well, guess what? We we can take the same amount of water and have double the amount of bottles. Double it, baby. That's right. Double the lids. Double the production. Double the labels. That's what we're talking about. 8-ounce bottles of water. And you know what? We're, we're eating them up. We're drinking them up. They're cute. <laughs> Someone said to me, no, they're cute. Excuse me? Is that how you base what you eat and drink? It's cute? Do you eat kittens? Do you eat puppies? That cute and and, and ingesting something. Those things don't go hand in hand. I I don't I don't need I don't need a pancake to look cute for me to want to eat it. You don't need to make it into Mickey Mouse for it to be delicious. I don't need my water to be cute. My kids are cute. My wife, she's cute. I don't need my little bottle of water to be cute. I want my bottle of water to actually satisfy my thirst because I'm thirsty. I'm going to want to drink water because I'm thirsty. That's not even the end of it. It gets worse. It gets so much worse. So I told you I don't like to spend money. 
I don't like to waste money. I should say I like to use money. I like to use money. That's a whole nother. I like to use money. And I'll, I'll, I'll be real here. I'll stand on a soapbox a little bit. I like to use money for the kingdom of God. How about that? Bl- bringing in a little discipleship into Noah's rant. That's right. I like to give my money to missions. I like to give my money to humanitarian aid done through the local church like world relief around the world. I like to give my money to the poor. I like to give my money to restorative justice in the inner cities. That's what I like to do with my money. How about that? A little bit of discipleship into Noah's rant even though I told you you wouldn't get any of that, but you just did. That's what I like to do with my money. I, I don't need to, I don't like to spend money. I don't, I, I, I don't even, I, I'd rather eat a meal at home than waste a bunch of money out at a restaurant. So if I'm at a restaurant, you better believe that very much most likely I am ordering a water or a water if I'm in Philly. I'm going to get a water partially because it's healthy. And also partially because it's free. You know what I really hate is when they say, we only have bottled water here. No, you don't, you liar. You have a sink right there. Put a cup under it and give me some free water. That's a whole nother rant in and of itself. This is a multi-layer rant. This is five rants in one. So you're at the restaurant and you go, I'd like a, I'd like a water, please. And you do have to specify now. Not the bottled kind. I'd like tap water. And they look at you, oh, you're one of those people. (laughs) Sometimes I say that. I'd like water from the tap. Tap water. I'm one of those one of those dirty low class citizens that drinks tap water. Ew, I know. I'd like some tap water. And you know, they have their cups. So this is if you're at a I don't eat I don't eat fast food either. There's wow, well, I'm really getting self-righteous in this one. I don't really eat fast food. I don't actually eat fast food at all. But I, I eat at a lot of those kind of in-between places. Panera's, uh Qdoba. I don't know if these places are worldwide, nationwide. You get the idea though. You know, burrito bar kind of places. And they're moderately priced and 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 whatnot, you know. So you ask for water, and they have all their special cups for their the movie theater. Oh my goodness, the same way a a, a drink at a movie theater is eight bucks. Are you kidding me? I just literally spent thirteen dollars on a movie ticket, and you're gonna charge me eight bucks for a pop? Are you kidding me? Are you are we crazy? Are we we're dropping 50 bucks now to go see a to go see a stinking movie? So, I do the same thing in the movie. I'd like a water at the movie theater. Like, oh, you got to go over to the customer service desk over there. That's where those type of people go. We got a sign over there for those type of people that drink tap water. So you go over there and they give you a shot glass. They give you this tiny little cup. It doesn't look like the rest of the cups. It looks like a sleeve of Dixie cups that they they found in the dumpster. You know, it, 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 it the same thing at you know Qdoba and those type of places. You don't get a an adult cup. You don't get a big person cup you, because you want tap water and you're a dirty cheap slime ball that's not willing to you know give them more of your money. They say I'm gonna here's how I'm gonna reward you with that. I'm gonna give you this little Dixie cup. It's a 
about a, a big enough to put two animal crackers in. And here's your water cup. And as you you hold, you better hang your head in shame as you walk around the restaurant with that. So when everybody looks at you, they can whisper and go, he drinks tap water. Look at him and his children too. He must not love his children. He's abusive. We we need to, we're, I'm not, I won't go in there in that joke, sorry. He's a terrible parent. He gives his children tap water. Ew, look at him. They make you hang your head in shame. And so, you have this tiny cup and you go, I'm about to eat a burrito. It's spicy. Do you think that a two ounce cup of water will satisfy my thirst? If this little cup, I legit <laughs> will say to them at these restaurants, uh, could I have a big cup, please? And there have been plenty of times where they say, no, I'm sorry, sir. I'm not allowed to, to give you that. I'm not allowed to give you a big cup. I can, I can only give you this little cup for water. And I say, okay, could I have four of them, please? <laughs> Legit. They do it because they, they're allowed to give me four of these little Dixie cups of water. So that's what I drink from. I'm telling you, something is wrong <laughs> with the world when you have to go to this length just to get some water to drink with your meal. I'm telling you, I'm out of gas. That Noah's rant was intense. I need some water. I am dying right now. Whew. I am spent. I left it all on the field, baby. I gave 110%. We gave it our all on Noah's rant today. Whew. Water time, water break. With that, we have made the world a better place today on the Flipside Podcast on Noah's Rant. Well, this wraps up episode 46 of the Flipside Podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already. If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. That would be fantastic. uh, Subscribe. I think I just said that. Stay tuned to our next, uh, one of our next two episodes will be with Kevin Butcher author of the new book free until next time i will see you on the flip side the flip side with noah Filipiak is a south francis press production copyright noah Filipiak. www.noahfilipiak.com theme music by kyle lake at k lake music use with permission please subscribe and leave a review on itunes or wherever podcasts are found Lexus to them Andres Hoping they check in my inner reverence Stressing for leverage That they see the king's tracks on the pavement Leading to heaven Y'all, y'all dripping in that gall that don't perish People selling fake See the green around their belly Taking refuge in his hand See his poems, my living quarters Close them when I'm finished It's time to bring me closer That's no purgatory Cause you're in or you're out When you see him in the clouds Then you know it's going down Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Pulpit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. Have you ever heard the sound of freedom?
person's nothing pretty So out the beauty pageants And caught up in emotions And following your passions Talking that freedom All people need them more than an Easter Or coffee shop discussions Debating over baristas Please sir, this is why we inked up Even when they do the autopsy They still see him Freedom, freedom, freedom coming quickly Bars from the spirit Put it through the preamp And mix it like a chemist Put it in the airwaves And hoping that they hear it If there's some confusion Then I hope you see him clearly Raise them, raise them, raise them They've been sleeping for some ages Now all God's babies So confused by this hatred Poor pit preachers Shouldn't aim to be A-list Money probably long But sure is what your gaze is